Uh, the title of the message is, is, is Support the Message. And that's really what it comes down to, support the message. Um, the, the, the message of the gospel uh, changes the world. The most powerful message that the world has ever seen is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are more Christians in the earth. You know, people, antichrist people, write books about how Christianity conquered the world. Well, it, it basically has. Uh, and it, where it's gone forth in love. Where it's gone forth with the sword, not so. Uh, we, we, we misunderstand colonial Europe. Uh, uh, if, if you look at the, the British as they came to the New England colonies or as they went to the Northwest Territories, the, the, uh, they didn't want the preachers coming with them. If you understand the Spanish, the, the whole idea of the, you know, the Christians and the conquistadors, they didn't want the priests to come with them um, because the message that the priests brought was a message that says you're supposed to love these people and they were butchering them. And so it's, it's whenever Christianity has gone out in love that, it, that the, the message has changed the world. If you think about it, communism is a message that changed the world. Uh, it lasted in, in its greatest bastion in Soviet Union for 70 years. Uh, Christianity has been going on for 2,000 years and, and is it right now, charismatic Christianity is the fastest growing thing on the planet. And um, uh, not so in the United States, for sure, but in the rest of the world, it's happening. And so we're, as, we, as we talk about this, the underlying message, he's gonna talk about himself, Paul writing this. Uh, he's gonna talk about pastors and apostles and taking care of them and all that. But the real thing is about supporting what we're doing with the gospel in the world it's giving people hope. Am, am I making sense? Um, I have a friend that I know in, in, uh, that lives in Kailua, or works in Kailua, and I saw him yesterday, and he's into uh, uh, some pretty strange stuff. He might actually call himself a Christian, but he, he reads the Internet way too much. And, uh, boy, I mean, he's into alien beings coming here, and, and uh, he, he's always giving me website addresses. They're, they're just really far out there. But he, he said something, because I was telling him about Africa, and he said, you know, the poorer people are the ones who are the more spiritual. And, uh, and, and he goes, they, they don't have anything else, and so they, they're, they're more tuned to the spiritual. Well, it's true. It's true. And uh, I, I, I was, I, you know, two weeks ago, I was with some of the happiest people on earth, and they're dirt poor. They're dirt poor. It's the message. It gives them hope. It gives them a dream. There's a lady sitting in church tonight that, moved to Hawaii to be with her family, to be a caretaker inside of her family. And after a few weeks, they threw her out and she was gonna end up hopeless, homeless, hopeless and homeless. And she got connected with people in this church and, 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 and her life is a beautiful life now. God has is, is, is provided for her and will provide for her. And, uh, it, it, and it's come through the grace that comes with the gospel message. And so it's really ultimately our role in supporting that message that counts for something. Well, it starts out in the first verse talking about supporting the messengers. Paul says, am I not as free as anyone else? He has a problem. He's the apostle. The apostle means sent one. He went out to Corinth and he preached to a bunch of non-believers and he started a church. The church grew. Then he brings a guy named Apollos in. Apollos becomes the pastor of it. Then apparently, and we don't, we, 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 we read bits and pieces in first and second Corinthians that tell us this. There's more to come in chapters ahead. That there are these guys who come through town 
who have a motive to earn money off the church by, 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 by being fancy preachers and using big words and what have you. And these guys come through and they claim for themselves the title of an apostle. And Paul is somehow diminished in the eyes of the Corinthians because when he was in town preaching the gospel, he was making tents to earn money. He was a tent maker. And you know, today we would call that a bivocational pastor, a guy who has a 40-hour-a-week job in order to be a pastor of a small church someplace. And, and that's what's actually changing the world faster than anything, is guys that will go out and pastor 20 people while they got a 40-hour job uh, because you can rapidly multiply those kinds of churches. And so Paul was that kind of a guy. Well, these guys are kind of into, well, you don't have very much materially, and you're nothing, and that guy's rich, so he must be a something. And so Paul's kind of defending himself as he starts out here. He says, am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Apparently that was, you know, a, 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 an earmark of the early apostles. Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? See, I could say some of this. Uh, isn't it because that Aaron and Stephanie and Ruby and I moved here that, that, that Hope Chapel and all these churches exist? Uh, isn't it because we moved here that, that, that we got started planting churches and now there are several other movements that never thought of planting a church before, but when we started planting churches, they started planting churches, and Christianity has gone from 4% of the population 29 years ago to 20-some-odd percent of the population now. Uh, I, I did a video with some people yesterday, and they're talking about the revival in Hawaii. Well, it doesn't, you know, if a revival is supposed to feel really loosey-goosey and fun and exciting, it feels more like work to me. Um, but, 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 but Paul, Paul says, it's because I came that you guys are even Christians. You, 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 owe me my, you owe me your salvation. He says, even if others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. Because if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even be there. And then he says, you yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. Just that what's gone on in the ministry is a proof of, 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 of who I am in the Lord. Verse 3. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? He and Barnabas actually chose to work to support themselves, and they're being mocked for it, and he's defending himself. Verse 7, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have a right to eat some of the fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock and isn't allowed to drink some of the meat? Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law, the Old Testament law, say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, quote, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating. In other words, it's, it's, it's treading out the grain would mean that they would take like wheat and the ox would, would uh, either pull a millstone that, that, that crushed the grain or just his, his hoofs would crush the grain and break it open so you could get the cereal out of it. Uh, you don't muzzle the ox, you, you allow it to eat. When I was a kid in, in Oregon, I, I used to pick strawberries, raspberries, and green beans uh, and boysenberries to earn money while I was in elementary school and high school. And uh, they actually have a state law that says that you are allowed, if you're a picker, you're allowed to be an eater while you're picking. And uh, that they can't stop you from, from eating berries while you're picking them. I mean, there's only so many you can eat. Um, but anyway, he goes on and says, 
uh, was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it is written, so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. In other words, should expect a, a paycheck. Um, you know, uh, there, there's a, a, a book called Philemon, and, and there's a runaway slave, and, and uh, the slave has become a believer because of Paul. And Paul is sending him back to his master, Philemon, and he asks him, treat him like a brother. And as he, as he does, he, he, he challenges Philemon, and he says, I'm going to ask you for a favor, and oh, by the way, you owe me your salvation. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be in Christ. And so you owe me this, and I want you to accept this other brother back and without, without punitive stuff. Don't, don't punish him. Accept him. Love him and bring him back into the family. Well, I, you know, I look at people in my life, and I think there's people I owe a great deal to. Um, I, I, I can think of my, my second-grade teacher, Mrs. Hickam, who caught me because I refused to read in the first grade. I, 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 the, I had a liar for a teacher. She, she, we were going to play a game, and she brought five kids up, and they played this game, and then she'd send one kid down, and another kid would come in, and then another kid would go down, another kid would come in. And I get up there, and there's a stupid book called Dick and Jane. And uh, there wasn't a game at all. It was stinking reading, and she lied. And I got mad, and I wouldn't do it. And so I get in the second grade, and there's this teacher who had monstrous boobs. <laughs> she would hug me all the time. Uh, she taught us to sing, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, in public school, while that was still legal. And she called my mother in and said, your son can't read. And she prescribed a plan that my mother would sit with me every night after school and that we would read books together. And my mother would teach me to read. Well, n now I can read about 600 words a minute, which is about twice what most people can read. Uh, I, I, I became a book freak. I, I owe Mrs. Hickam a great deal. Uh, there's a guy named Art Miller that uh, when I was in Bible college wanted my roommate to come to help him with a small church that he had just taken over the pastorate of. And my roommate wouldn't do it. And, and my roommate was a flashy guy. And I was just a kind of a dud. But uh, he, he would drive 45 miles one way on Sunday twice. Sunday morning, he'd do it, 90 miles. Sunday afternoon, he would come 90 miles, uh, 45 miles each way to pick us up. And, uh, I, and he had a station wagon. And I felt so guilty because he would come just to pick me up. And I thought I was the dud that I, I brought a, a station wagon full of college students with me. But I ended up working in that church for seven years, and, and this guy invested in me. He believed in me. There's a guy named Jerry Cook who wrote a book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness, and, and he invested in me when I was 18 years old, and he was 25. I helped him launch this church. Uh, there's a man named Don McGregor who... Uh, was a, a, a missionary in the Philippines, and they were having like 55,000 converts a year, uh, the four-score denomination, with only two missionary families in the Philippines because they allowed church planting to be built on a discipleship model rather than a school model, and it, and it got out of hand. It got, uh, the guy who wrote the book about it said it got out of control, and I, I read this book called New Testament Fire in the Philippines while I was a college student, and it just lit my fire Later on, McGregor came home from the Philippines, and we became friends. And, and, and the day before our first service on the beach in Hawaii, 
McGregor shows up in town on his way home from Japan. And, uh, and, and, and he goes, you guys aren't ready. You need, you, you, it's against the law to do what you're doing. You got to look like a picnic. Here's what we do in Indonesia. Uh, and, and so he, he, he set us up. He was there for that first day. He, he, he took me to Japan on my first trip to Japan and introduced me. I, I owe Don McGregor a great deal. You know, it's just, I can think of others, Chuck Smith. I, I, two weeks before I became a pastor, I heard Chuck Smith talk about how he preaches and how he approaches the scripture uh, in very much the way I'm doing it tonight. And I modeled myself after him. I'd sat through all these classes on how to preach. And I thought, no, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be like Chuck. And so I, I have these people in my life that I owe. And I owe honor to them. I owe respect to them. But Paul's saying here, um, they're also worthy of a paycheck. And it goes on for there. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus says, don't hesitate. He's telling the disciples to accept hospitality. And then he says, because those who work deserve their pay. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your spiritual leaders or your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Don't be stingy in terms of honoring people who work hard among you. Um, in fact, stinginess, Proverbs 11, verse 24 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. There's lots of things that we can be stingy with. We can be stingy with our money. I mean, this is a, a, a generous church. This is a tithing church at a baseline, but we're also a generous church. We give. Uh, when Ellen Ahu got ready to start the church in town, uh, we invested $18,000 of you guys just giving an offering to, to Ellen. Pretty amazing. But you know, there's, there's other ways of giving. <clears throat> there's encouragement. There's loyalty. There's respect. There's, there's kindness. There's just the words, thank you. And there's people besides your pastor that you owe it to. There's your mini church pastor. There's your friend that led you to the Lord. There's the person who came alongside of you when you were going through a divorce and held your hand. There's a person who went and sat with you when you had to go for radiation for cancer that we owe people loyalty we owe people love we owe people respect we owe people honor and uh, these are things that are very very real well he goes on and talks about godly messengers in verse 11 and it says since we have planted spiritual seed among you paul and barnabas aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink if you support others these hotshot preachers coming through town who preached to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. In other words, I never asked for a paycheck. He says, we would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I have actually never used these rights. In other words, he just never accepted that. He worked on his own. He said, I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. So he, what he's saying is leaders ought to be paid for what they do. And, and they're deserving of support. And yet, you, you, you know, in, in his case, he's not taking it. When I, I travel around the world every springtime. I travel 
pretty much once a month uh, to another continent, and and I preach, and and uh, and, and I, I never ask for anything, and uh, usually never get anything, and I, it, it's because there's a message that needs to be delivered that can change the world. Uh, I get a paycheck from here, and 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 that suffices. I'm 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 happy. Uh, I, I don't go out there to do that. I go out there because I want to be a world changer. I want to be your representative in these other countries and that, that this church has an arm into different continents. In, a, in a, about a month, I'm going to head to Ukraine. And uh, the, the church that I'm working with is a, a church that's actually bigger than ours. And they started about uh, uh, 40 churches. And when I was 40 years old, we'd start about 40 churches. And uh, last time I was there, uh, we, we were well over 700. And so I challenged them. You know, how many of you guys would, would think about starting a church? You know, be, could you, do you believe your church could, could hit 700 churches by the time your pastor is as old as I am? And, uh, and so I go, okay, then how many of you are willing to stand up and say, I'd be willing to go out and start a church, just maybe start a church in your house in your neighborhood? Um, and immense response, immense response. Interesting thing about this church is most of the people in this congregation are Jewish people. Uh, in, under the Soviet system, because uh, Ukraine has just come out from under the Soviet system. Chernobyl is in Ukraine. Uh, this, this, these are, are beaten down people. Uh, but they're in a position to reach people that we could never, ever touch. But we can touch them secondarily by me touching their leaders and, and, and going from there. So our congregation is having a reach around the world. We're, we're supporting the message as it goes out and uh, you know, going from there. Well, in verse 16, he says, talks about supporting the message. And he says, yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. In other words, I don't think I'm such a hot shot because I do it. He says this, I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. It's not something I can boast about. It's something I, I'm, that the Lord has drafted me for. You know, I, I, I never wanted to be a pastor. I, I've met people who, who said they want to be a pastor, and, and sometimes I go, why would you want to do that? Uh, I, I, I became a pastor because I, I, I got drafted when I was a little boy. I have this story, and I won't go into it, but when I was six years old, a turn of events happened, and, and I knew in my heart that God was telling me that I was supposed to be a pastor. And how I knew it was because I reacted so strongly against it. I could read my own rebellion uh, well enough at age six to know this must be God because it really ticks me off. And uh, I really don't want to do it. And, and there's something, something is wrong inside of me because I'm so ticked off. And, uh, and so I fought against it for the next 11, 12 years. And, and, and finally I decided I would be a pastor. I was the kid in school that was always chosen last for every sport that we ever played. I can play no musical instruments. I can't dance. I can't sing. I can't do anything. I'm not an exciting teacher or preacher. I, I, but, but I can put one foot in front of the other, and I can march. I can be relentlessly persevering in what God has called me to do. And I think that's all that God's ever called any of us to do, is be relentlessly persevering whatever he's called us to do. Am I making sense? And so uh, Paul is saying here, I'm, not, I, I'm compelled by God to do it. It would be terrible for me if I didn't do it. 
See, that's, that's how I feel. I wanted to be an architect. Uh, that was my dream. I, I instead did this. And, and when, I, when I said I would do this, I, I, I thought never would I, I mean, I'm in the situation of change right now. I mean, I, I'm no longer the senior pastor of this church. Carl is. Um, tomorrow will be my last time preaching at 7 a.m. Uh, Carl's going to be doing that service from now on. And, and uh, so my life is, is changing. We're going to probably ramp up Kahala, and I'll be here. But it, I'm going through this, this process of change. But I, when, I, when I signed up for this, uh, I, I actually thought I was going to end up in eastern Oregon in some little small town and have a job in a gas station and, and be a pastor to 20 or 25 people. That's what I thought. I, I never thought I would stand in front of this big of a crowd in my whole life. I never, ever th- thought that when I said yes to what, whatever I thought God was calling me to do. I never thought this. And so everything else that's ever come my way has just been gravy. You know, it was, you know, and as a youth pastor, I was a, I was a high school pastor for seven years. I worked with, well, actually was, I started out with junior high and I, and I worked with them all the way till they were sophomores in college. But I never had more than 30 kids in my youth group at, at, at one time, never. And so the, the thought that I would be a pastor of, of more than 30 people was just idiocy to even think about that. Uh, we, we ended up taking over an empty church building, my wife and I. And uh, I just, just got off the phone this week with our first two members. There were two young people that accepted the Lord. Um, have you heard of Ryan Hall, the guy that was in the Olympics, the, the, the famous runner? Uh, it's his mom and dad. And uh, they, were, they were not yet married, and they had found the Lord. And, and we were at, at, at Susie's, the, the, the wife's uh, mom's house, because uh, I was tight with her brother. And, um, and, and they came and said, we heard you're starting a church. And I go, yeah. And they said, would it be okay if we came? And we were like, oh, would it be okay if you came? I mean, yeah. And, 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 and they literally were the first members. We, we went down, the four of us, Ruby and I and, and Mickey and Susie, and cleaned out the church building uh, prior to opening up. And we were, we were overwhelmed. I mean, our, our church grew by, you know, there were three of us, Carl and at age six months, and Ruby and I, that was the church. Suddenly, there's two more people. We, 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 we grew by 66%. Uh, and, um, but but, we, but in, in those days, that, that building, it seemed so huge. So huge. It was meant for 66 people. I saw the architectural plans. And we, we, we sat in the back one day crying. One of those cleanup days, just the two of us, and crying. And and wondering, would, would, would we ever, ever see that building full of people? And praying. Some, some guy came in off the street, some hippie guy. And uh, living on the streets, not like homeless people today. This was by choice. And, uh, and hair matted down and greasy and smelly and whatever and wanting money. And, and so we, we gave him some money and, and, he, and he left. And, and we prayed, Lord, send some people like that our way. Well, boy, he did. <laughs> and we grew and... You know, the rest is history. And, and so, you know, it, 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 he says preaching the message is the important thing. And then he says in verse 17, if I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment, but I have no choice for God has given me the sacred trust. What then is my pay? It's the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. You know, my travels, the, the pay is the opportunity that other people pay for the airplane tickets in America so I can go there 
and do this thing and do it for free for these people, and, and that's a wonderful thing. He goes on, he says, that's why I never demand my rights, and, and uh, he goes on from there. Um, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and it says this, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. And so here's the challenge that I'm going to lay before you. Am I your pastor? Okay. I've tried to be faithful to a calling that God put in my life. Paul says, remember your leaders and follow their example. In other words, you do the same. You, you, you be faithful to the call that God has put in your life. And part of the call that God has put in your life is to share the message of the gospel with people like that little girl from Japan that we saw on the screen. Uh, with your next door neighbor who is an alcoholic and yells at you at nighttime. Uh, with the lady down the street that just found out that she's getting a divorce. Uh, with the person at work that just got the pink slip. That we get into people's lives and we share the love of Christ with them first so that we earn the right to share the message of the gospel with people. I don't really believe in banging people over the head with a Bible. I don't believe in preaching so much to total strangers, although I have done that before and done it with effect. But, I, but, I, but to me, that's not the, the, the main deal here. The main deal is that you live your life with your neighbors in a way that they respect you and they want to hear what makes you tick. And then you tell them what makes you tick and, and, and their lives are changed and they're transformed. And so hence the title of the sermon, that we're supporting the message. He starts out by talking about supporting the messengers, paying pastors, but that's a form of supporting the message. Um, uh, 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 the, the, the reality of supporting the message I think is when we are all infected with it and we are all taking it and we're passing on the good news and the grace of the Lord and, and what he's done in our lives. So am I making sense with this? Good, because I'm done. Short sermon, huh? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Bible and the way that you cause it to be put together and what we read in it because sometimes it's uplifting and it blesses us. Uh, sometimes when we're down, it encourages us. Sometimes, just like tonight, it just flat out instructs us. It's pragmatic, it's practical, and it just says, this is the way to live your life. We thank you for that. And Lord, we, we just pray that we would be people as a church uh, that live up to your word, that we would be a church that has a, a culture of generosity, we would be a church that has a culture of honor, of respect. Uh, we would, that we would be a church that is thankful. And we would be a church that is evangelistic. That we would be sharing your love and your grace with people who don't know you. And that, that they would see in us the love of God. Because that's the overpowering part of the message, is the love of God. Lord, there's so many angry Christians in the world. I was just talking to someone before church started and, and, and they're, they're frustrated because somebody got to them that's, that's hostile to our president and, and saying horrible things about him. 
in, in using Christianity as a basis for it. And it rattled this person. And it's so unlike you and unlike your word. Uh, you've said that we're supposed to pray for our leaders and, and to bless them. Uh, you've said that we're supposed to love even our enemies, uh, let alone our leaders or our friends or our neighbors. We understand that your love is the power that changes culture. Help us, Lord, to manifest that love in all that we do and to, to, to then have earned the right to speak the message into the lives of people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. I'd like for you to keep your eyes closed for a little bit longer, and we're going to pray again. And um, I always like to close church by doing this. Um, this is a prayer that wouldn't be for everyone to pray. This is a prayer for, um, well, whoever hasn't ever prayed this way to pray, because most of us have. And what we're going to do is I'll pray out loud and invite you to pray along with me silently. In your mind, you hitchhike on my words. But it's, it's the only way to establish a relationship with God is you tell him you want one. You, you can't do it by incantations. You can't do it by joining a church. You can't do it by any other means than praying and inviting the Lord into your life, into your heart. And so I would like to lead you in a prayer to, to, to tell him that you want a relationship. Before I do that, I want to remind you that God loves you. That God has prearranged a plan for your life. That he probably revealed a lot of that plan to you when you were a little kid. You have certain deep, deep desires that God put inside of you. And your life probably hasn't measured up to those desires. And God wants to get you on track. And there's a lot of us that know there's a God there. There's a lot of us that will call on him when we're in trouble. And then we walk our way and we do our own thing. And actually the Bible calls doing your own thing sin. It's not all the bad things you do. It's doing your own thing. It's letting God do his thing. I'll do my thing. That's, that's sin. And in the Old Testament it says, all of us like sheep have wandered away from the shepherd. And then it goes on and defines that as sin, the wandering away from God. And so this is an act of coming back to God and saying, I need you, and I want to walk with you. I want to go partners with you. I surrender. And so I'm going to, if, if there's anybody going to pray with me, I'm going to lead you in prayer. But I want to know if there are people praying with me. And so uh, people around you get their eyes closed, but I got mine open. I want you to, I'm going to count to three, and if you want to pray, I want you to raise your hand and you're telling me you want to ask the Lord into your life. One, two, three. I see one hand go up. Okay, let's pray. God, I come to you tonight and I just thank you that you have shown me your love. You've shown it to me through other people uh, you've shown it to me through some miracles that have taken place in my life I clearly know that you're there and that you're there for me and that you want a deeper relationship with me and so I surrender myself into your care into your hands into your love tonight in the name of your son Jesus I ask you to forgive me for 
wandering away. And I just want to turn to, to my creator and say, Lord, you be in charge of this life. You be the senior partner in this partnership. And you make this thing work. I pray that you teach me your ways through my friends, uh, through people who already know you, through the Bible as I read it, through my life as I pray to you and you talk back to me. Lord, show me how to walk and how to live. And I'll live and I'll walk that way. Make my life count for something. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.